Morning. Yes, my name's Rich. Um, I, I can say now I'm one of the elders at Grace Church. There was an induction service yesterday. It was very encouraging. Just wanted to say uh, my wife was really sad and I was really sad that she wasn't there. She's unwell uh, in bed. So um, she was, um, I think, a little bit concerned that people might have thought she just didn't bother coming, but she's been unwell. There's a playground near where we live that uh, we've been to a few times and there's some refreshingly high uh, play equipment for the kids. You know, I'm frustrated by all the low, really safe stuff, but there's some really high play equipment. We've got a little two-year-old girl called Arwen, and she likes to climb up there. And um, the first time we were there, I was standing close by, and she stood on the edge, and all of a sudden, she just threw herself down, and I caught her. And so every time we go there now, this is what she does. And so I have to stand there, and she'll just climb up and throw herself down into my arms, and repeat that again and again. I don't know what the other parents around think, whether they think I'm a fun parent or a crazy parent, I'm not really sure. But I'm often amazed at the level of trust I see in my children. If you're a parent, you might be the same. I'm amazed that really they don't care about how much or about how little money they have. Uh, Sometimes we stow them in the car or we actually stow them in a plane across the world and they just go with us and they don't really ask as many questions as they might. They're very trusting And you know, we're in a series now through Exodus, and the title of this series is Know the Lord. So it's all about knowing him. And we come today to this chapter, chapter 4, where Moses has his early lessons in knowing the Lord. He actually really doesn't know anything about the Lord, potentially doesn't know anything except a few little brief stories that have been told to him. But we see here in Exodus 4, after Exodus 3, God's big plan Moses' encounter at the burning bush, and we focus here on God's interaction with this man, Moses. He's preparing him to be the leader of the people Israel and to send him. So we're zooming in on this interaction between Moses and God. Now, when it comes to knowing God, perhaps here we see the most foundational and key lesson of all that we need to. And this is all of us need to learn this, so we can take a lesson here from Moses. We need to trust God like little children. Moses needs to learn this, and we need to learn this. And didn't Jesus point this attribute out when he said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's the one who trusts me, the one who trusts and humbles himself like a little child. Now, Moses has to learn this. And so this is our big idea, our big lesson today, if you're a bottom line sort of person, and it's this, knowing the Lord, or at least in part, means resting like a child in his power and faithfulness to do what he promised. How much would you say that's evident in your life? Resting like a child in his power, that he's able to do what he promises, and his faithfulness that he will carry out what he promised. So resting like a child, knowing God, means trusting in his plan, that his plan is good. Do you believe that God's plan in your life is good? It's better than your own plans. Uh, It means trusting in his power to carry them out, that he's able to do what he says and acting in obedience to what God says. Really basic lessons here that we need to learn that Moses is learning here. Why is it that we often worry and complain about the things that are going on in our life? Why is it that I see that spirit in myself frequently? The worrying and the complaining and the wrestling against what's going on. Why? The reason is because I need to know God better. I don't know him well enough. I don't trust him as I do. I don't yet understand what his love for me means. And we need to know that better. Now, 
think about this, Moses is one of the most prominent figures in all of Bible history, isn't he? Now, if you just do a plain word search, there's only two characters that will come up more than him in terms of the name, and that's Jesus and David. Now, he's a huge figure. He, you know, even Jesus at one point sums up the Old Testament as Moses and the prophets. He's a massive figure in the whole sweep of the Bible. But here we see in Moses the same kind of garden variety unbelief that we see in ourselves, and that should be encouraging. Moses badly flunks a couple of early lessons here. He ignites God's anger in one instance, and in another instance, God's about to kill him. But over the years, Moses comes to know the Lord well, as we'll see. And that journey for Moses starts right here. And so hopefully this passage will encourage us that we can learn to trust and obey the Lord, just as Moses did, like little children. So let's pray, and then we'll look at the text. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It's life-giving to us that you have revealed yourself Uh, you've revealed yourself in your scriptures and your son the living word who came down from heaven who is bread of life to us and so we know this word is life to us lord uh, please speak to us Um, change us transform us feed us Uh, may may we know you better love you more and trust you more like little children you're a heavenly father how much we need to know this we pray you teach us this morning in jesus name amen all right one of my most powerful lessons in trust was stepping out of throwing myself out of a plane i once had the opportunity in the army to do this and we were jumping into a lake so we didn't have to learn the sort of the the land uh, how to land on uh, on the ground but we jumped out of a plane and every rational part of me was resisting this idea. I remember waking up in the morning and thinking, this is just ridiculous. My heart was pumping really hard and I was nervous. We were all scared. And I was trusting my life in two things I really didn't know. One was the chute. I had no idea whether there was really a chute in this pouch. Um, Actually, the reserve was on the front, the chute was on the back. I had no idea whether there was even a shoot in there. I was trusting that there was. I didn't know the men who'd packed it. I didn't know the men who were training me. It was a huge exercise in trust. And I remember looking at the two paratroopers who were going first. And this was a big moment for me because I was thinking, how are they feeling about this? Are they nervous? They looked as calm as ever, like they were just uh, walking in the park before they jumped out. And that was reassuring to me. And they kept telling us again and again, the shoot will open. In fact, I've never seen it not open. You've got a reserve, but you won't need it. And they kept going through this again and again. And eventually, it was my turn. I was second in the row of five, and the guy in front of me stepped out the plane, three steps, and he's out. It's connected to a sort of a line in the plane, so you don't even have to pull a chute. And all of a sudden, the lights go green, and the the, the two sergeant majors on each side say, they yell out, go! And you, you walk three steps, and you're out. And after the turbulence of the plane passes... There's just this really peaceful feeling and you look up and there's this massive canopy above you and uh, there's such a, a joy and an appreciation and all of a sudden you start to actually enjoy the experience that uh, I had learnt something great about trust. And I was so appreciative of that parachute that my whole life depended on being connected to it. Now, Moses here is being shoved out the door in a sense. God's telling him, go. But every part of Moses is resisting. Now, Let's go look back, and God made a promise long ago to Abram or Abraham in Genesis 15. Now, I'll just put this up on the screen here. He said, The Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, 
and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Now, we're not sure really whether Moses knew this. He wasn't raised in an Israelite house, so it's possible he didn't even receive all these traditions. He probably did hear them, but he really didn't connect the dots, and he didn't connect the dots either that it was him who God had chosen to carry out his plan. And so we saw last week, Exodus 3 verse 10, God says to Moses, so now, here's the word, go. So go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. What's Moses' response? Chapter 3 verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God answers, I'll be with you. It's all right, I'll sort this out. I've got it sorted. You can trust me. He's constantly reminding Moses He doesn't need to worry, he doesn't need to fear, but Moses finds it hard to listen and trust. Now, come to chapter 4, verse 1, Moses raises another concern. Have a look at it. He asks this question, verse 1, what if the Israelites do not believe me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? In other translations, it's actually, I think it is stronger language than this, it says something, it's more of a statement, they won't listen to me, they won't believe me. God gives the power Moses then to sorry Moses the power to perform three signs, three miraculous signs. One in verse two to five to throw his staff on the ground, uh, and it turns into a snake, and then to reverse that. Secondly, you can see in verses six to seven to put his hand inside his cloak, and it becomes leprous, white as snow, and then to put it back in and undo that. So he has that power too. And then the third one he's promised is to turn Nile river water into blood as it pours on the ground. So he's given three signs to confirm his authenticity as the one God has sent. So Moses appears satisfied that, okay, they'll listen to me. But then he goes back to his original concern. He thinks he's found a flaw in God's plan. Have a look at verse 10. And we start to see here Moses' unbelief coming out, his lack of trust surfacing. Verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Now, what's God's response? He's patient with Moses. He understands that he's not sure about all this. What does he say? Just trust me and go. I'm the creator. I made everything. I made mouths. I made ears. I can stop them. Trust me. Look at verse 11. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. Now, uh, I know that there's a lot of Doctor Who fans in here. I'm not necessarily one of them. In fact, up to last week, I don't even think I understood the whole deal with Doctor Who. Um, But I do understand now he's a guy that travels back and forward in time and helps people solve their problems, yeah? Or solves problems. Is that accurate enough? in a police box. Okay. Now, imagine you can do the Doctor Who thing and you, can, you need to go to Moses and you need to talk to him right now in this instance. What would you say to him? You need to give him words of encouragement to get busy doing God's will. What would you say? Knowing the historical events that happen afterwards, what would you say to him? Say, Moses, look, you're going to do this. God's going to lead you out. He's going to enable you to lead the people of Israel. Everything he says It's going to happen. It's going to come true. You'll say something like this, right? Just get on board with his will. Isn't that interesting that you're starting to speak knowing the past, knowing what's happened. You're starting to speak with some of what this is what God's thinking at the time. He knows the future. He knows what's going to happen. 
But what's Moses' response? He doesn't trust and he persists with this same concern. Look, I'm convinced, God, that you've made a mistake. You've got the wrong guy. Look at verse 13. Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. In effect, he's really making himself out wiser than God, to know better than God. There's only one other prophet that attempts to dodge this call, and that's Jonah. Moses here makes God angry, not surprisingly. Why? Because he just refuses to listen. God's already told him again and again. Where is Moses looking? Where is his fear based at this point? It's all wrapped up in the fear of man and the trust in man. He doubts that Pharaoh will listen to him. He doubts that the Israelite leaders will listen to him. And he doubts himself. His fear is based or vested in the wrong place. And he's not listening. You know, eight times in this conversation, God has already told him what will happen in the future. This will happen. This will happen. You need to trust me. I'll go with you. Chapter 3, verse 12. You'll return here and worship on this mountain. Chapter 3, verse 12. I've promised to bring you out of your misery. 3, verse 17. I will stretch out my hand and perform wonders. 3, verse 20. 3, verse 18. We read before, the elders will listen to you. Pharaoh will let you go, 3 verse 20. I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed to you. He's told him all the things that will happen. Moses isn't listening. And not only that, but Moses has already factored, sorry, God's already factored Moses' unbelief into his plan. He's already sent his brother Aaron. He's already on his way. Have a look at verses 14 to 16. God's already sent Aaron. Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and, he, and put the words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. God doesn't need Aaron. He doesn't need Aaron to make this plan happen. But he's already woven this in, I think, to equip Aaron as high priest and to give him an experience here of leadership and uh, to bring him into the plan. God doesn't need Aaron to make this happen, but he's already factored unbelief of Moses into his plan. Isn't that interesting? All right, let's go forward to the end of Moses' life. Let's see how far Moses has come by the end of his life in terms of trust. And Deuteronomy 31, 7 to 8. And here, here's Moses speaking to Joshua. Having seen all that God has done over the last 40 plus years to lead Israel, to bring them to the promised land. He's seen God fulfill all his promises. Pass through the sea and the wilderness, and here they are, Deuteronomy 31, 7 to 8. Then Moses, sorry, I've got a spider hanging on my microphone. It's really distracting. I'm just going to move him. Right. They're not poisonous here, are they? <laughs> then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not, do not be discouraged. Is this the same person? <laughs> it is, isn't it? What's the difference? Is that again and again, Moses has seen the Lord work and be faithful to his commands. He knows him. He knows him and he trusts him. Now let's apply these things to our own lives. How are you progressing when it comes to learning to rest in God's promises? Is there worry in your life about the future? 
What, what word does God speak to that? Is there concern about your financial situation? Is there struggle to believe God's, God loves you? Is there struggle to believe that his actual plan for you is better, is, is best? Is there struggle for you to believe that Christ is really all satisfying, more satisfying than the world? What's the issue here? The issue isn't that God isn't faithful. The issue isn't that God doesn't love you. The issue isn't that Christ isn't all satisfying. What's the issue? The issue is that we don't know God as we need to. That we don't yet trust our Father. We don't yet rest in his promises as we need to. Now, think about your own life. You've been walking with the Lord for a while. Think about your own life and the hard times that you've had. I expect that you'd say the same as me, that those hardest times, as you can look back on them, are the times when the Lord proved his faithfulness to you the most, when you grew in faith the most. I remember when my mother died, that, that really five years ago, really tough experience. And we had this wonderful holiday to New Zealand planned and we had to put that on hold for a while and we didn't even know if it was going to happen. All these things, uh, it was a difficult, difficult time. And, you know, especially losing my mother. And I look back on that time and think, boy, the Lord in so many ways was close to me. At the time, I didn't see it. Now, we need to think about our future and apply those same lessons and, and look at Moses' life and take, apply those lessons to ourselves. God is faithful. He's in control. His plan is good and we need to trust him. So, what does this childlike trust in our Heavenly Father bring? It brings all kinds of benefits. One, it brings confidence and courage. You see Moses' courage at the end of his life compared to at the beginning. It brings freedom from fear of man. It brings freedom from worry and it brings joyful obedience. So wonderful, wonderful blessings it brings to trust him. All right, learning to obey, second hard lesson for Moses. I'm going to tell you a time when I uh, failed as a man, when I didn't feel like a man at all. I uh, re- more recently, this is not the time, but I, I was thinking about this as I was pushing my electric mower that it was in the rental house that we have, uh, mowing the lawn and uh, feeling like I was doing some vacuuming and not feeling very much like a man at all. Um, had to leave my really good mower at, back in Australia. But I'll tell you a, ma- a time when I really didn't feel like a man. That was back in 2007. And my wife was giving birth to Hudson, our second child. And we'd gone to this sort of birthing clinic where they encourage all this sort of active birthing stuff and she was having a water birth and I was the sort of support guy and I had to put a lot of pressure on her back and it was a posterior labour for her. And it was, you know, the labour wasn't going well and we'd been up all night and I was dehydrated and uh, it was getting stressful and, uh, and so it was time for me to really step up as a man. And I did that and proceeded to faint. <laughs> now, when I woke up... <laughs> When I woke up, here there was about seven or eight medical staff in the room, all dressed in white. I kind of for a moment might have thought I was in a different place. But they'd all come in to sort of pull me off Cherie and, and, and sort of prevent me from drowning of the three of us. And, and Cherie here is in the throes of labour, calling out, Rich, are you okay? You know, she's trying to revive me. And the worst thing about it was I'm lying on the bed and there's this midwife sort of stroking my hair and saying, it'll be okay, sweetie. <laughs> And saying, and saying, and saying, yeah, I, I, this is great. I only usually get to do this with the woman. So um, it was a very humiliating experience. Now, chapter four of Exodus here, Moses has a manly job to step up and do, and he utterly fails to do it. And it's the woman who comes through instead. And you can see that in verses 24 to 26. Now, 
Moses does obey God's call and he's set off for Egypt with his wife and his two sons. And here, all of a sudden, God is going to put him to death. What's going on here? Has God changed his mind? Is he, is he being capricious? Is he given to mood swings? It kind of looks like that on the surface of it. No, there's something more serious going on. And what is that? It's an ambiguous, ambiguous passage, I will say that. So there's a, if you look at the, the reference, I think there's a letter next to the Moses. So it says here, at a lodging place on the, well, the, Lord, on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. It, could, it, could, it just says him. The Hebrew is a bit unclear. There's a lot of debate about it. It could mean the firstborn son. It's not all that clear. What is clear is this, that Moses hasn't circumcised his son. He hasn't actually obeyed God's command to circumcise his son. This is serious. Remember what God said to Abraham, Genesis 17, 10 to 14. I'll just read that out. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So in the Old Testament, this was God's sign to the people that this is, they were set apart. They belonged to God. Moses had not kept this covenant. He hadn't done it. Now, obviously, there's some knowledge of this because Zipporah, his wife, steps in and does the job. She circumcises the child and God withdraws his hand. Have a look at verse 25 and 26. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Again, this language is pretty unclear what, what exactly is going on and what she means. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time she said bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. One thing is profoundly clear and that is that Moses the giver of the law, Moses the man who, it says in John 1, the law came through Moses. He failed to keep the law at the first point, didn't he? Failed at the first point to keep the very first command God gave to his people Israel to circumcise their children. And this brings us to our third and final important point, our need for a better saviour. Now we're going to get back to this parachute experience here. Um, The one thing they did teach us to do was to how to release the parachute because when our feet touch the water, you don't want to be drowned under a heavy canopy. And so they taught us how to release the parachute. And so they went through this drill with us maybe a hundred times. So you have these clips here and they say at 30 metres, you know, they yell at 30 metres and you, you've got to pretend you're undoing the clips. Underneath the clips, there are these pull rings. And so you put your thumb in there and they say, your feet have touched the water now and you pull the rings, right? That's the, that's the rehearsal. We did that so many times. Now, I'm sitting there having done my parachute jump and watching the other guys come down. And uh, all of a sudden, I see one guy, and we we were watching, and here's this one guy, and from roughly 30 metres, you see him just plummet, release his parachute, arms and legs flailing, into the water from 30 metres high. We found out later that he'd fractured his sternum. And we see here, it's a good example of how obedience is no small issue. It can be a life and death issue, can't it? Breaking God's commands especially can be serious indeed. And it almost cost Moses his life here. And over the course of his life, Moses learns the importance of obeying God's commands. The people disobey in the wilderness and Moses disobeys in the wilderness and he didn't enter the wilderness because he didn't obey God's simple command at one point to speak to a rock. Instead, he struck the rock 
and he wasn't entering into the promised land. Deuteronomy 32, 45 to 47, this is what he says to the people. He's learnt the importance of obeying God's commands. When Moses finished reciting all these words to Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words to you, they are your life. Now the thing is, for us, is that we haven't obeyed God's commands. All of us have broken them. Moses has broken them. And our problem here is that, effectively, we've gone and released the chute, the life-giving chute that we were connected to, and we're plunging to death. Without a saviour, without intervention, we're lost. And so that's ultimately what this passage is about. And the whole scripture is about Christ, isn't it? The whole Bible is about Jesus. What did Jesus say in John 5.46? He said, up here on the screen, it says, if you believed Moses, Jesus says, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. And then in uh, Luke 24, it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what all that was said in the scriptures concerning himself. The whole Bible is about Jesus. So where is Jesus here? This passage points us to Christ in this way, that Moses stands in a way as a powerful Christ sort of saviour figure. He's a shadow of the one who's to come. And there are lots of parallels in this passage between Moses and Jesus. You know, there are others in the scriptures, in Hebrews, it, uh, of the parallels between Moses and Jesus. And what they reveal, though, is that Moses isn't the real saviour. Jesus is the real saviour, that we need a better saviour. So here are some of the parallels. Have a look at verse 19. Here's one. This language here, he says, God calls Moses to return to Egypt when the Pharaoh who wants to kill him had died. Verse 19, go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. Now have a look at the wording in Matthew 2, 20 to 21. This is concerning Jesus being called back from Israel, sorry, from Egypt to Israel. It says, uh, God says to Joseph, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Sounds deliberate, don't you think? There's some strong parallel here. I'm going to put up on a table here. I like tables. Um, here's a table for you of some of the parallels between Moses and Christ. They had a king, and Mike mentioned some of these last week. The king attempts to kill them both as a baby. They flee the land for safety. They're sent to a people in slavery. They return after those seeking their life are dead, as we just read. They both lay aside riches and honour of the royal family. They are both accredited with signs and wonders. They both come out of Egypt. Really strong parallels. Now, Moses took on the identity of an Israelite, didn't he? And God used him to rescue the Israelites from slavery. What did Jesus do? He took on our human flesh to rescue us from slavery. Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, Christ too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those, this is you and me, from who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We were in a worse kind of slavery than these, these Israelites in Egypt. Christ came to rescue us. What's our response to this? Just in closing here, we can learn something from the response of the Israelite elders in this case. They hear Moses' testimony, they believe and they worship. Have a look at verse 29 and 31 of chapter 4. 
Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. There's, there's no sense of ritual in what they're doing, is there? It's gratitude and awe and thankfulness for what God has done. The God of the universe actually loves me, actually wants to rescue me, actually has my good in mind. Now, what about you and me? Do you remember this? You remember that God actually specifically has come to rescue you, loves you, has sent his son to save you. We've heard Jesus' testimony. We believe him to be the son of God, rose from the dead, accredited with signs and wonders. What's left for us is to worship him like little children, not to give him anything, but to be awed and full of gratitude and praise and thankfulness to him. We've been swept up in a better salvation than Exodus. We were delivered from a worse slavery than these people in Exodus. We've been loved by Christ in a way better than these elders. We've got more reason to worship than them. So that should be our response. So just to close, what does knowing God mean? It means trusting like a child, not just with the salvation that he's promised us, but with our lives now, with what he's commanding us to do today, with our money, with our relationships, with our jobs, with our marital status, with the hard things in our lives. He's calling us to trust him. So my prayer today is that we trust him as Moses did, that we learn to try and prove his, step out in, in obedience and prove his faithfulness with steps of trust this, today, this week, this year. Let's pray to close. Heavenly Father, thank you for this lesson that we see in Moses. Lord, this great man of history, uh, and we see him here struggling with some really basic lessons of unbelief. And Lord, thanks for this uh, example to us. Thanks that we don't see in the Bible a whole lot of stories about people who've got it all together when we don't. But we see uh, examples of sinners all the way through, Moses included. And Lord, we know that we're like that, that we're so given to unbelief. Lord, uh, we pray that we would know you, trust you, know that your word, your promises to us are, are sure. They, they, they have come true. They'll all come true. Help us to trust you with our whole lives today and ultimately that you have saved us and you've prepared us for a salvation and eternal kingdom far more glorious than this promised land you led the Israelites to. So help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.